Tonight, tonight. Why not? He'll make you think. I think I'm going to break protocol here, though. He'll make you laugh. Is it conceited of me? Because, I mean, I've been puffing my chest out a little bit. And he lives for a take that'll make you do both. He says things I can't say. Nothing tops overtime, whether it's on the field or on the air. People don't forget. It's time for Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. It is overtime with Jonathan Peterlin, but it's not Jonathan Peterlin. If you thought he was pulling double duty today, you are. I am sadly here to inform you that is not the case. He's not going to do 10 hours of radio one day. That's just ridiculous. My man had to go home. He's got a wife and family to attend to. He was here filling in for Nick, so I'll be in for JP tonight. I'll be in for JP tomorrow, and I will be in for JP on Friday night. So it's Spencer German. A hot microphone and you, Cleveland, for the next three nights here on 92 Through the Fan, 7 to Midnight. Excited about it. We got a lot of different things to cover, a lot of different things to get to, a couple guests lined up as well. Uh, and we got some maybe stunning shot, maybe not stunning, but some surprising news at the very least today uh, with the Browns. And I got to be honest, guys, like, I understand why it came across as not something that was on the radar, not something that was expected. But this move to me, I think everyone was breaking this thing down. We tried to look really, really deep internally into why why Alex Van Pelt is being let go, um, why other changes are being made on the offensive coaching staff, Stump Mitchell being let go, T.C. McCarthy being let go. I, I, I think we tried to overanalyze this one. I, I, I really do. It's it's you're searching for answers and you're looking under all the wrong rocks. I think the answer is simple. And I think it can be tied back to one simple quote that we love to throw around, especially in the world of football, but in other sports as well. Adapt or die. Adapt or die. That's what this is about for me. Because that is a way of life. In the NFL, I've heard so many stories. I've seen it play out firsthand where a coach comes in and because they have a certain mindset or they have a certain philosophy about the way that they want to do things, they just try to reinvent the wheel, change it all, even if they're taking over a team that was more comfortable doing something else. And I think the best coaches are able to either adapt their scheme to their players and make it work or vice versa, adapt the lean into what the players do best and find different things to exploit and use and take advantage of that are that are that are certain players' strengths or certain teams' strengths. I think that Kevin Stefanski generally has done a good job of that. If you, if you look back and you I mean look at this past year alone, the quarterbacks that he had at his disposal, you start with Deshaun Watson, you hand it over to Dorian Thomas Robinson for a game, then it's P.J. Walker for three, then it's DTR again, then it's Joe Flacco to round things out. You even had a game squeezed in there that meant nothing, but you got Jeff Driscoll out there. And by and large, this year, previous years, Jacoby Brissett was here. Uh, Baker Mayfield was here when, when, when Kevin Stefanski first got here. Go on down the list. Generally, you see Kevin Stefanski be able to pull something out of these guys that 
other coaches just never could. He has gotten the best of so many different quarterbacks and players during his tenure here that he strikes me as the type of coach that can do the thing I said. Adapt your scheme to your players. Find the strengths of your players. Utilize those and, and, and adjust within their framework to what you're trying to do offensively. I think it's why Kevin Stefanski is a great coach. I think we saw that on full display this year. And as we look at this decision to move on, most notably from Alex Van Pelt, I think this is what that comes down to. I, 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 if you're going down the rabbit hole of, is this a Paul D. Podesta thing? Is he putting the pressure on Stefanski to make an offensive change because he thinks that XYZ offensive coordinator would be better for this team or better for Deshaun or whatever? Um, or if you're trying to make this link this somehow to the Haslams and it's like, oh, here are the Haslams meddling again. Did they force him to make a change? Or if you think it's, it's like, I think the conspiracy theory rabbit hole is just going a bridge too far here. I love a good conspiracy theory every now and then. It's fun to it, talk through those things and laugh about it and wonder and, and theorize, but I don't think that's this. All we heard last year was that Kevin Stefanski had the autonomy to move on from and fire and bring in new coaches as he pleases. We saw it last year. He moved on from Mike Prefer. He moved on from Joe Woods. He replaces those guys with Bubba Ventrone and Jim Schwartz with excellent results, mind you. I mean, those two units were superb this year, all around, major improvements. So I think that at this point, I'm not really leaning into the he had pressure from this guy or that guy. Kevin Stefanski has delivered two playoff berths in his first four seasons. He has got this team trending in the right direction. We talk a lot about culture. He seems to have established a culture here that people are buying into, players are buying into, that is, has this team on a trajectory towards continuing to be competitive because guys are bought in. I'm not sitting here thinking through all these different scenarios of whose decision this was. I think it was largely a Kevin Stefanski decision. He always talks about being collaborative. So, yeah, I'm sure there was input from other people, but I don't think this is Paul D. Podesta coming down with the, with the gavel saying, dismiss this man, get him, out of our, get him out of our coaching staff, and let's start 2024 fresh. No, I, I think Kevin Stefanski, as he goes through assessing these situations, he thought it was a good move to move on and, and bring something else in here, bring somebody else in here, and that's fine. I am less interested in... Who's calling the shots on this one and who did this and who did that and why is it? I, I, it is less about that to me because I think the picture is pretty clear that Kevin Stefanski has generally the most say in these decisions and it's kind of his call first and foremost. So I'm less worried about that, figuring out who's deciding the, the fate of XYZ offensive coach or offensive coordinator. And I'm more worried about what this means for the Browns and why the decision was made in the first place. And I think the answer to that is also very obvious. Again, we don't need to turn over all these stones that have the wrong answers for for, for the question. It seems simple to me. We'll play some audio of others who feel the same way throughout the show tonight. Kevin Stefanski understands the assignment. Kevin Stefanski knows what's at stake and what he needs to do next season. It's it, it, it goes back to, again, last year. He understood the assignment last year. Last year, his defense was putrid. His special teams had issues. He moved on from two 
special uh, coaches for those specific areas, brought in two new ones because he knew that if he didn't revamp and fix those things, his ass was going to be on the line. And this team was going to continue to flop and put up seven and ten and and and, re- and losing records and and not be a very good team. So what did he do? With the help of Andrew Barry rebuilding the defense, he focused in on those areas, changed the coaches, and he fixed them. It's the same thing here. He understands the assignment going into 2024. And what that assignment is, this team gave up a whole hell of a lot for Deshaun Watson. He's going into year three of this new deal that he signed with the team when he came here, five-year deal. Fully guaranteed contract, all these different things. They need to start seeing some results. They need to start realizing the full potential of what he can be and try to get him back to the player that he was with the Houston Texans so that this offense next year is humming and that they know that they invested in the right guy. It, it's it's put up or shut up time for Deshaun Watson. We at, at, By the end of the season, and part of the reason you didn't want it to end was because we didn't want to have those tough conversations about Deshaun Watson and whether or not this trade's going to work out for the better or whether or not it was a dumb trade or one of the worst trades in NFL history. We don't want to have to have that conversation. There's still three, like you can still get three good years out of Deshaun on this contract before maybe there's an extension that comes into play. And then we can talk, we can cross that bridge we come to, but there's a chance that the next three years go swimmingly. And then we're sitting here. We're not even worrying about that conversation. If more of the years of the deal than, than less are good to Sean Watson, then you're going to come out of this thing looking pretty. But if you don't see results next year, that's where the doubt's going to start setting in. That's where the questions from outside are going to start coming. That's where people are going to continue to push the narrative that this tray was stupid and you guys made a mistake. They need to prove that this wasn't a mistake. And to do that, I understand why Kevin Stefanski might feel it's a good idea to bring somebody in who's more innovative from an offensive mind standpoint. And I understand Kevin Stefanski's pretty innovative in his own right. But again, they always preach collaborative effort. That's true. Kevin Stefanski is the guy calling the shots on Sundays in terms of plays. I'm sure he did take input from Alex Van Pelt. But I do think on some level, there's collaboration going on with the coaches, with Alex Van Pelt, with whoever that OC is, or the future OC is, where they are deciding, hey, here's what we want to do. Here's how we're going to attack these guys. Here's what we want to do with Deshaun. Here's how we can maximize his strengths. All those different things. And if he didn't feel like Alex Van Pelt was going to get the most out of Deshaun Watson, because don't forget, on top of being offensive coordinator, he was also the quarterback's coach. It is his job to get that guy ready. So I don't know if it's an indictment on Alex Van Pelt. I think Alex Van Pelt's probably a fine coach, and he deserves some credit for the, the, the way that they kept this thing afloat offensively with four different quarterbacks, five different quarterbacks starting throughout the season. But next year specifically about Deshaun Watson, it is going to be full bore, a lot of pressure on him to perform and rise to the occasion. And if he doesn't, again, doubt, questions, all that sets in. So again, I can't blame Kevin Stefanski if he was thinking, let's get another offensive mind in here that can be innovative, that can collaborate with me, that can work with me, that can get him performing at the level we need him to perform. And and, and that's the other part of it, because if you look at the other quarterbacks that Stefanski's worked with, both in his tenure here in Cleveland and elsewhere, Baker, Jacoby, uh, Case Keenum, P.J. Walker, Joe Flacco, DTR, 
he has largely gotten more out of those guys. DTR is a rookie, so it's, it's you don't know where how he would do elsewhere. But yeah, you get the idea here. He has gotten results from those guys. He's gotten wins from those guys. He's gotten some of the best performances of their career here in Cleveland as their as their offensive mind, the guy behind the behind the curtain pulling all the strings. So the only guy he hasn't necessarily gotten the full potential out of, Deshaun Watson. I don't know if that means it's an indictment on Kevin Stefanski. But if he wants somebody who is going to be giving input and providing, uh, a, be, be a resource for Deshaun, especially as that quarterback coach position, that can bounce ideas off of and bring something new and fresh and modern to the table, again, I understand where he's coming from then. And when I think about it that way, that move specifically makes a ton of sense to me. Kevin Stefanski knows what next year is, what next year means, what he has to do. It's recognizing those things. He has always said, he said it on these airways last year when he joined Ken and Lime on the morning show. I'll do whatever it takes to make sure, or I'll, I'll evaluate everything and do whatever it takes to make sure that we are, to, to make sure this team goes in the direction of winning. He's doing it again this offseason. It makes a, a lot of sense to me. When I do the math on all this, that's the solution that adds up and feels like the right answer. Now, we may not know. We might not get an, a clear indication from anybody. We're supposed to speak with Andrew Barry at some point this week. Maybe he'll provide more context. I don't know. He rarely does. But at the bottom, but, but bottom line is, yes, this is it, it, when you when you think through why a decision like this could have happened. I think at the center of it is the quarterback that they traded for. They are trying to make sure realizes the full potential and gets back to being the player that they thought they were trading for. Played for the Houston Texans and was the top 10 quarterback in this league. And maybe Alex Van Pelt just wasn't the guy to do that. 216-474-0092. Does this move feel like it's all about Deshaun? It does to me. How do you feel about it? You can also hit me up on Twitter at Spencito underscore. We'll get to your calls, your tweets, more next. Also with this move, guys, there is one thing that worries me about it. And we'll talk about that later this hour as well. Spencer Trimmer with you on the fan. Keep it locked on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. I don't think it has anything to do with Deshaun Watson. He's barely, you know, played there. You know, obviously going through the stuff with the suspension and getting hurt. I definitely don't think this has anything to do with, you know, being at the direction of Deshaun Watson or anything like that. At least not from what I understand. I mean, I always reserve the right to hear something different and change my opinion because I'm just learning of this news just like you guys are. But from everything that I understand and just, you know, know up to this point, I would say that I would be very surprised to know that you know he had any you know thoughts that were negative that impacted this type of decision towards those coaches would not make sense to me just right off the top of my head that was Josine Anderson CBS uh, NFL insider who joined Ken and Lima this morning I she was more so alluding to the idea that Deshaun slammed his hand on the table and said I you got to get rid of this guy he ain't working for me like I and I don't think that's what happened either it seems like Deshaun had had a good relationship with AVP. It seemed like he was fine working with them. I just think from an innovative standpoint, from an offensive mind standpoint, I don't know that AVP was bringing a lot to the table in terms of modernizing and doing the things that were going to draw out the strengths of Deshaun Watson. There's got to be some reason for it because he was still under contract going to next year. That seems like the one that makes the most sense. 
real quick, I, I went and looked this up earlier. Alex Van Pelt's coaching tenure in the NFL. Where he's been, quarterbacks he's worked with. You tell me if any of these make you feel like he has ever worked with a quarterback similar to Deshaun Watson. He, um, in 2008, was the first year he was a quarterback coach. He worked with J.P. Lossman and Trent Edwards of the Buffalo Bills. Either of those guys make you think of Deshaun Watson. Neither of those guys were even good. So, no. Uh, 2009, still with the Bills. Trent Edwards on this list again. But you can add Ryan Fitzpatrick. He definitely had Deshaun Watson. And Brian Brom to that list. 2010, he was with the Bucks. Josh Freeman was the quarterback. I remember they used a, a high pick on him. He was supposed to be the next big thing coming into the NFL um, and flamed out, obviously, with, with Tampa Bay. First-round pick in 2009. Played for Kansas State and laid an egg once he got to the NFL. He's maybe the one that reminds you the most of a Deshaun-type quarterback. Because if I remember correctly, he could run a little bit. I don't remember him being like a huge rusher, though. Yeah, I mean, his best season, 2010, he had 68 attempts for 364 364 yards, uh, zero touchdowns. There was a season where he rushed for four touchdowns. That was in 2011. But again, not the same, not exactly Deshaun Watson. Certainly didn't play to the level of Deshaun Watson. That's maybe the one guy on this list that you feel like he worked with that had any sort of semblance to the style of play that Deshaun Watson also brings to the table. And you could argue back then, 2010, football wasn't as embracing of these dual-threat RPO-style quarterbacks that they are now. I mean, there's a reason Jalen Hurts was so effective a year ago. I know he kind of took a step back this year, but there's a reason Jalen Hurts was the quarterback he was, why a guy like Kyler Murray works in this league. You can go down the list of others, Deshaun Watson even. Like, there are players now who you can use that as part of their use their strengths as a runner, incorporate it into the offense. I don't know that back then that was the case, and so I don't know that Josh Freeman makes me think, yeah, he can just work with Deshaun Watson and be great. He also worked with Josh Johnson in 2011. It was Josh Freeman and Josh Johnson, so we're on to 2011, 2012 to 2013. He went to be he went to the Packers and he was the running back coach for the first couple of years. So no quarterback necessarily there. But you know Aaron Rodgers obviously was playing there at that point. 2014 to 17, he was the quarterback coach, and he worked with Aaron Rodgers more directly. Now, Rodgers is a guy who is mobile. He can certainly run the football. But I wouldn't say that the Packers at that time were running RPOs and using a lot of design runs for Aaron Rodgers. A lot of what he did was just he was able to read things and break free and, and make some plays with his legs when when they, he was under when when things kind of broke down and that's what made Aaron Rodgers so special. He was this great mix of mobility and passing that we just never seen before in this league. But I don't know and also Aaron Rodgers already established himself at that point. He'd already won a Super Bowl. So I don't know that Alex Van Pelt necessarily was some quarterback whisperer for Aaron Rodgers. Like I'm not giving him credit for that one fully. 
Then he went to the Bengals. He worked with Andy Dalton and Jeff Driscoll in 2018, 2019. Same thing, Andy Dalton, but Ryan Finley, okay. And then he's been with the Browns with a combination of Baker, Jacoby Brissett, Case Keenum, Nick Mullins, Deshaun Watson, P.J. Walker, DTR, Joe Flacco, who have all started since he's been here over the last four years. Only one of those guys, other than I guess Josh Freeman, like I mentioned, only one. Deshaun Watson is so unique of that group of quarterbacks that we just kind of rattled off and named. And Alex Van Pelt started this career coaching quarterbacks at a very different time. Even a decade, like a, a, de- a little over a decade ago, the game was different than what it is now. These guys that are mobile and can do these things are more widely accepted and allowed in the NFL in terms of being utilized and finding offensive schemes that work for their skill sets. I'm telling you, even back then, it wasn't like that. So I can understand with the way the game has gone, offensive heavy, you're constantly looking to evolve your offense and find new ways and weapons and different things like that. I can understand why maybe Kevin Stefanski just thought it was time for a change to make sure that next year they have a different perspective and a different voice in there to, to guarantee that they are doing the best by Deshaun Watson to get the most out of him because they need this trade to work. They need it to work. They need Deshaun Watson to get back to some form of what he was and uh, in, in Houston. 216-474-9092. Let's go to the phones. Jim and Wyndham, what's up, Jim? Hey, uh, I'm kind of confused as to why you think Stefanski's gotten the most out of his quarterbacks. Uh, he got nothing out of Baker Mayfield. He got zero Jim, up out of until, the guy. Up until this year, Baker posted his best season of his career with Kevin Stefanski in 2020. Uh, yeah, but then what happened? That, that was his first year when he was there. That was his first year with Baker. Yeah, I, don't I, think, I, I think that Baker that, kind of regressed back to the player that he truly is. So, like now, like he truly is. This is truly Baker, how he's playing right now. How he played under Freddie as an OC. I think that he was unable to adjust to his quarterback. I think if he adjusted, they would, Baker would still be here. I think that he just did not adjust at all to Baker's strengths and went the other way. And I mean, the offense that Baker had to run, he had to run Kevin's offense. Kevin didn't do anything to adjust to Baker, I don't think. I, I disagree. I, I there, Listen, we know Baker likes a lot of the boot stuff. I recall those early years with him. There was a lot of that stuff going on. There was a lot of trying to get him out and make throws on the run. Uh, they did utilize him as a runner at times. Like I, I think they tried to tap into as much as they could, and they realized that there was a ceiling there. He couldn't make certain throws, some of the intermediate stuff over the middle. And they wanted better. I, I like. I've I've never blamed them once for being for wanting to move on from Baker to try to get better. Now, if you want to sit there and assess whether or not they should have gone for Deshaun, I'm willing to have that conversation because I understand why this now is starting to look like it could be an albatross and just a bad decision. But I don't blame them necessarily for moving on from Baker because I do think that they tapped that well and they realized that they were only going to get so far with him. Listen, he had a great season in Tampa this year. I, you got to give him credit for that. I'm not disputing that. And I think he's done a good job down there. But what are we gonna? Is he gonna be able to replicate that? Because that's kind of been the story. He had the one good year, and then he kind of went back to the mean of of who he is. 
And I, I wonder if that's going to happen in Tampa as well. He also, yeah, he also in Tampa has otherworldly weapons around him. I mean, he's got Mike Evans, who's one of the best in the game. He's got Chris Godwin. He's got a great running back in Rashad White. Like, I do think that that matters too in the context of how he's played this year as well. I don't think it's just been on Baker. No, I don't think it's just on Baker either. But I, I don't think that he did any adjustment to help Baker out. I, I, I think that uh, these quarterbacks that you say he's won with P.J. Walker, he's won with DTR, I don't think that was the quarterback play that won. I think it was the defense. I think it was uh, partially the running game. I mean, I, 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 these quarterbacks weren't the reason why they went. I mean, now Flacco is a whole different animal, and I don't know how much Stefanski had a hand in that either. I think that was just a, a, an anomaly here with Flacco where he came in and was just amazing for for four games. I mean, I, I'm, like last year with Jacoby Brissett, though, like, he put up the best numbers of his career here in Cleveland. Like he was having a, which is which is part of the reason why last year was so disappointing because you were getting good quarterback play, quarterback play that should win you games out of Jacoby Brissett, but the defense was so bad that you just couldn't win. Yeah, but what is Jacoby Brissett's best career, best games? I mean, that you're talking a career. You should have been a career backup. I mean, I don't think Jacoby. Yeah, but he got chances started. to start. He got chances to yeah. start, though. He was in New England, then he went to the Colts, and he started there. Like people thought he could be a starting quarterback in this league, and nobody got the numbers that that Kevin Stefanski got out of him. And then you bring up guys like this year, like DTR is still kind of a project. We don't really see the full. We don't know his full potential at this point. But like, yeah, he won a game. He won at least one game with him against the Steelers. P.J. Walker was a miracle that they were winning those games, but they were, to me, like, I think we learned a lot about Kevin Stefanski this year. I think we saw that he's a pretty damn good play caller, that he was winning games with P.J. Walker. I mean, that game against the Colts, it's not a fluke that P.J. Walker started that game. Now, I guess technically Deshaun started that game, and then P.J. took over, like, five throws in, so I guess I, I was wrong on that. But, um, but he played the majority of that game, and you win a game by putting up, like, 36 points. I, like, he was, he was finding ways to win, when he was getting bottom-of-the-barrel quarterback play, I don't think that should be understated. Like, I do think Kevin Stefanski deserves credit for that. I, I, how, but how much credit does the quarterback deserve? You're, you're saying that he adjusts all these quarterbacks. I mean, it, it was we've had, we had bad quarterback play all year until Joe Flacco got here. Deshaun Watson has played six games for the Browns, and he may have played well in six quarters. Of those 12 I think games. if I said adjusted, fine. Maybe I misspoke. But my what I'm trying to get at is I, Kevin Stefanski, being the offensive mind that he is, has continually gotten like the best out of quarterbacks. He's found a way to win with multi, multi, all these different quarterbacks with them playing some of the best football of their career because of the way he schemes things up. Like I think he is, he is just – his scheme has worked universally – as he's and he has had to make some adjustments because you're not running the same offense for Deshaun Watson as you are for Joe Flacco like they did late in the season. But I'm just saying, like, I, it, it why ha, why didn't the Jets get more to Joe Flacco when he was there? Like he went there to try to be a star of the one year, and then obviously they drafted a rookie and he became a backup. But why why didn't that happen with the Jets? I think Kevin Stefanski is certainly responsible for some of that. Where was the talent at the Jets? I mean, you 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 bring in Joe Flacco and, and he plays with the Jets. Uh, the Jets had zero talent. That has something to do with it too. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, I mean, you that, can't that's put fair. it on Flacco. Flacco played horrible with the Jets. 
the Jets were I'm not putting horrible. it on Flacco, though. I'm putting it on the yeah. Jets not having the same offensive mind that Kevin Stefanski has. I mean, Kevin Stefanski, yeah. you talk about Flacco. Like, okay, so take take the game where Joe Flacco's out there and Amari Cooper got hurt, and he had to basically try to go away with Elijah Moore, and they still got the job done. Like, I, I, he still was finding ways. They didn't have Nick Chubb all season. Like, they were lacking some talent, too, at times, and they still found ways to win. That That's my, my I, overall point is that I think Kevin Stefanski has proven at this point but the way he runs an offense, he can scheme things up, and he can work with a multitude of different quarterbacks. So, Yeah, I, um, true. But, I mean, I, I guess he can work with different players. He had to work with different players. He didn't have a yeah. choice. But it's just that I, I think Kevin is very rigid as to how he thinks an offense should go and what he thinks it should do. And I don't I, – I mean, I'm not a Stefanski hater. I'm not a Stefanski fan either. But – I'm just not – I mean, I, Alex Van Pelt was a scapegoat. Alex Van Pelt was, well, let's get rid of Alex Van Pelt, and then hopefully we can bring a guy in to help out with Deshaun. I mean, I'm, right. I'm, I was never a Deshaun yeah. fan from the start. All right, Jim. And, hey, I, I apologize, man. We're up against it for a break, so we got to go. Um, and I apologize, rest of you guys. Jim sort of took the floor here. I was getting into it with him, but we will get to you guys on the other side of the break, I promise. Um, I, I just – I disagree. I disagree. Stefanski has proven, especially this year, that he can get the most out of all these different multitudes of quarterbacks. Deshaun's the one where we still kind of have some questions that we're looking to answer. But I'm not going to sit here and, I mean, maybe AVP was a scapegoat, but a scapegoat for what? The offense wasn't great, no. But it's a year where you made the playoffs. Like, I don't think anybody was walking away looking for Kevin Stefanski to make a fire. Like, somebody's somebody needs to have their head on the chopping block because we fell short in that one game. And that's been the sentiments all day. Even Josina Anderson said it wasn't about one game. Or, I'm sorry, even uh, Nathan Zagura said it wasn't about one game. So, I, I, like, I'm not going to sit here and say it's just a scapegoat thing. I just think it's adapt or die. 216-474-2092. More of your calls when we get back. Spencer Drummond with you on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here on The Fan. carried away with Jim. I apologize. He had me He had me a little fired up. I was just going back and forth, lost track of time. Next thing I knew, we needed to take a break. 216-474-0092. We'll take your calls on the coaching firings and moves that came down today. Um, as we've, as, as it's been going on all day, speculating on what the decision kind of came down to, why Kevin Stefanski decided to move on from AVP, Stump Mitchell, DC McCarthy. Um, for me, I think it just has a lot to do with Deshaun Watson, at least the OC change one. Stump Mitchell's interesting, and I'm going to get into that coming up next because it's the one thing that worries me about these announcements of or these reports of coaches being let go today and I'll explain why. Um, but yeah, like I, I think it truly just comes down to trying to rethink what you're doing offensively and not just staying the same. When you have a quarterback that hasn't quite met the full potential he's supposed to when you traded everything you traded for him, three first-round picks, all of it, like next year's a big one for proving that this Deshaun deal was worth it. They got to get a little bit more from him. And if that means a different offensive approach or mind being in the in the room, I, I can live with that. This uh Nathan Zagura was on afternoon drive earlier today. 
Here's what he had to say about the explanation for why these moves were happening. Based on those reports, there was a, a need to maybe make some changes on the offensive side of things and, and try to maybe modernize this offense. I think what we saw was how effective this offense was with Joe Flacco, who excels at the things that are at Kevin Stefanski's core, right? The hard play action from under center, vertical passing shot plays. And I think part of it's going to be you got to get Deshaun Watson to be even better at those, kind of in the way that Joe Flacco was. But I think maybe bigger picture to bring in, you know, offensive concepts that or, or someone who has maybe even in the past been familiar with Deshaun Watson and the things that he is comfortable doing and does the best you know more motion we are one of the lowest motion teams more shotgun based offensive principles that you know maybe we were not as innovative as possible there and I my guess is that's what you're looking at because going in this offseason the most important thing is to get Deshaun Watson playing the best that he possibly can play and so perhaps that's one of the reasons why they decided to you know make some changes there so that they can be in a better position to do that and move forward with Deshaun as their quarterback because he is he's the president. He is the the future. He's all of it. I think that's really well said by Nathan. I mean, really thorough explanation. We saw what Kevin Stefanski, his system is is going to pull out of a quarterback with Joe Flacco. It's, that's why he looked so good out there every single week and had people questioning, like, is he a better fit? All these different things. It's because he thrives at the stuff that, that Kevin Stefanski's scheme is best at producing. But if you want to change some things up, Lima had the numbers earlier today that the Browns are the second lowest team in terms of pre-snap motion in the NFL. Like, that is so much the the way and the style of the of, of NFL offenses today. You need more of that stuff. It's literally what did the Browns in defensively this past weekend. The Texans, they use so much motion and crossers and all these different things to just throw off their man defense and get them kind of trailing plays, and it worked beautifully. It also, I think, th- this is the other element of this conversation and this these decisions being made. It provides some insight into what exactly Alex Van Pelt does. Because you've wondered, like, Kevin Stefanski's calling the plays, okay, what's the point of being OC here? That tells me that he wants somebody in here and that AVP was the person who was in here who was providing insight into the offense and helping draw things up and is still helping design things. And, if like, that can still be rewarding in its own right for an offensive-minded guy. But if they want somebody in here who's going to contribute in that way but make it more modernized offensively, again, I 100% understand that. But I don't think this is like panic button, hit the, sound the alarms, they needed a scapegoat for how the season went. The season went fairly, I mean, they were 11-6, and and they made the playoffs. Did the game on Saturday go as they thought? No, but I'm also not sitting here blaming. Anybody who thinks that game decided the fate of Alex Van Pelt and these other guys is crazy. Like, the offense didn't even play that poorly in that game. The first interception wasn't fully on Flacco. Jerron Christian was getting blown up on the play. And Flacco tried to throw the ball away, and it didn't get there. Okay, fine. You live to fight another day. Now, the second one was on Flacco. But the offense was moving the ball. I'm not, I'm not putting it all on them. You had four different quarterbacks this year. I think it was just they want to change some things up and Change some of the concepts and things that they like to do offensively, and I can live with that answer if that's really what it was. Jeremy and Avon, you're up next in the fan. What's up, Jeremy? Hey, Spencer. How's it going, bud? Good, man. What's up? Hey, man. Uh, so I, I can't really fault uh, Kevin and, and staff for uh, making some changes. You saw what, what a difference it made to uh, change the defensive coordinator from Woods to Schwartz. So, yeah. you know, if that worked on that side of the ball, can't blame him for trying it on the other side. So – 
you know, I applaud him for at least being willing to, you know, to tinker with stuff instead of just staying pat. So we'll see what happens. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not pessimistic, but I'm not optimistic. It's more of a wait and see for me um, to see what they do on that side of the ball. But anyway, the, uh, the only concern I have, and I talked to you on Sunday about this, you know, about Deshaun Watson and uh, my concern is what's in his heart because um, I took a scouting class um, recently and it was taught by a couple of guys that, uh, you know, worked for the Browns previously. And, you know, one of the things that they really stressed was, you know, no matter how much you scout a guy's talent, speed, strength, size, height, you know, uh, track record of past performance, injury history, off the field stuff. The one thing that you cannot, you cannot account for when you're scouting somebody is what's in the guy's heart. And, you know, that's something I'm skeptical about with Watson after getting all that money and having all, all those off the field issues. You know, so, I'm Jeremy, I, I be motivated to really yeah, try to. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. My only pushback is this. There were a lot of people questioning Deshaun's want to and desire to play and all that this year when he was injured. Don't you think, though, like the way he gutted out that Ravens game, the fact that he can't like the to me, the telltale sign that that's not that's not really something we can criticize Deshaun for was him coming back early to play in that Colts game. Like he clearly wasn't 100 percent. He admitted after the game like, yeah, I wasn't. I probably shouldn't have played, but I was trying to get back out there for my teammates so he came back early, tried to play in that game, went terribly. And then he gutted out that Ravens game with what we found out later was the shoulder injury and the ankle injury. Like, that's to me, that's not something I really question at all with Deshaun. Now, whether or not he can get back to the player he was, there's still some legitimate things to, to debate about there. But I don't question his, like, want to and desire, even with the contract and all that considered. I, like, I just don't see it that way. Fair enough. No, I, I can see why you'd say that. I don't, I don't completely disagree with you on that. You, you do make some good points, so I'll, you know, yeah, it is what it is. I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You yeah. know, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not. Well, I'm not and, and, adamant and, that I'm right. I just that's something yeah, that I yeah. that I question because I, at times it just, you know, especially early in the season, it just it just seemed like I, I didn't see that that fierce competitor that was going to do whatever it took to put the team on his mm. back in certain games, like the Steelers game early in the season. Yeah. He just seemed like he was just kind of, kind of running around, not really, not really with any, any purpose to his, to his game and to his play. Yeah. And, I, I um, gotcha. you know, I see that in other guys yeah. like Josh Allen, R. Jackson and company, you know, where they put the team on their back, they don't care what they have to do. They're going to do whatever it takes For sure. For to sure. make that play. Yeah. You know, to, so all right, yeah, that's, that's I, my question. I, yeah, I appreciate the call, Jeremy. And listen, I'll, I'll say this: I'll elaborate a little bit more on the other side of the break. But I will say this real quick: until he starts winning and playing better, I think he's going to have to live with the fact that fans are going to question that. So, Jeremy, you're not wrong to feel like that and think that and wonder that because you want to see the results on the field too. But until you see them, there's going to be questions about his desire and all these different things. I just don't question that because I think this year he. He sort of dispelled that stuff. Mike in Cleveland, real quick before the break, what you got, Mike? Hey, man, I just wanted to say it's a reason why these people are coaches and we're fans. It's a reason mm. why fans don't hold the position of coaches, man. The only thing I don't understand is the firing of the tight end coach after Njoku had the season that he had. Yeah. 
but then again, that just goes back to that just double backs to the reason that I'm a fan and they're <laughs> a coach. For sure. I believe that Stefanski has a plan. They have a vision of the direction they want to go in. Stefanski is a I don't care what you say about him, he is an excellent football minded person. Yeah. And they have a vision. We bet the house on Deshaun Watson. We put it all up for him. And I believe that they have a plan to pull the best up out of him and get the results that they need up out of him. And just because they're not showing their hands just yet, it's not for us to understand. We're yeah. just going to have to sit back and wait and see how it play out. Mike, but I definitely believe yeah. they got a plan. For sure. Mike, I appreciate the comment. We're up against it. That's uh, It's well said. They're the coaches. We're the fans. We're the radio talk show hosts who get to talk about it. But – yeah, like I, I think Kevin Stefanski sort of sees the big picture here. He knows, he understands the assignment, as I said, to lead off the show. And I think he's trying to put himself and Deshaun in position to be successful going to the next year, which is a key year in this deal with him. Jeffrey, Mike, we get to you on the other side. I'll talk a little bit more about Deshaun. And the one thing that worries me about some of these coaching decisions, Josina Anderson talked about it on the morning show as well. We'll play that clip. Keep it locked. It's Spencer German with you on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin, 92 to the fan.